once I win two national championships in a row, you bitches better watch out. That's now. This is our era. We just <laughs> won the last two natties. Oh, we're only up 17 and a half over UT Martin. I don't give a shit. Look at these rings. A combination of me being the world's biggest fan of Selexa, my anti-anxiety meds, <laughs> and also winning the last two natties has made me a lot less anxious of a UGA fan. This is Chapel Bell Curve, a podcast about football and feelings. I'm Yara. And I'm Nathan. And today we're going to be reviewing UGA's latest matchup between the Hedges against the world-famous UTM Skyhawks. If you haven't come to one of our review episodes today, I say that as though our review episodes are a physical voice, but I suppose sort of state of mind-wise they are. But if you haven't listened, there we go, correct verb. If you haven't listened to one of our review episodes What's going to go on here is we are going to talk about our experiences on the day. We're going to kind of go through a qualitative review of how things went. We are going to talk about feelings and experiences and Yara's Bildungs Roman and some rage that she has that they need to like unpack, you know, live because really this podcast is just therapy for the people (laughs) who make it, honestly. Absolutely. (laughs) It's just therapy that we don't have to pay for. On Let's addition go. to the therapy that we also go to, I guess. But, oh, yeah. <laughs> and Yeah, absolutely. And then we'll be doing a quantitative review where we talk about some more on-the-field stuff, some notes, some players that we thought stood out, and some stats. Everybody's juicy, juicy stat goodness. Then we'll be done, and you can move on with your day. So let's start... <laughs> I don't know what you're going to do after today, <laughs> after you listen to this, but I hope it's something fun. I hope you enjoy yourself. This gives the vibe that this is not fun. I think this is a wonderful space. And you actually yeah. also, if you aren't already, should totally also come join this space. For as little as $1 a month, you too can come listen to this like literally live at patreon.com slash chapel bell curve. You can listen for, or you can listen live for as little as $1 a month. You can listen for as much as $50 a month and have us talk about something of your choice, which is like pretty awesome. Do you want an ad for $50? Hell yeah, you do. Patreon.com slash chapel bell curve. Go check it out. I think it's hilarious that you are like simultaneously as a Gen Zer deeply opposed to capitalism, but better at being on your capitalist <laughs> grind than the, any of the rest of us combined. It's it's oh, like God. you contain you contain multitudes, Yara. Just on the one hand, eat the rich, but on the other hand, I would also like to make my way through school. Yes, exactly. Please come help. It's my last semester. I act like this Patreon is actually directly going towards me paying back my student loans. It's not. Yeah. We don't make nearly enough money. We, this is not like this is not the McElroy's Patreon. Like, oh my god! If we wanted to make enough money to pay back your student loans, me and Justin would need to start an OnlyFans together. Oh god! Oh hell! What would the? I, I'm actually. I'm not gonna ask that question. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go forward with the question I thought I was gonna ask. So let's start our qualitative preview. As okay. you have probably figured out at this point, Justin is not here. Justin spent his weekend at Dragon Con, and I don't think he has, I don't think he has actually watched the game yet because he was too busy dressing up. He had he had a couple of cosplays, but I can't remember exactly what they were. But he was too busy doing incredibly fun nerd stuff to watch this game that honestly was not that important in the grand scheme of things. So we are letting him recover. 
while we take over his duties. And just as in our first episode this season, it is already very clear that the adult in the room has left. God sheds a blind eye to, I think, what we create when when we are without Justin. All right, let's actually start the show. It's our qualitative preview. We start every one of these by talking about news interest segments. The only real news item of note that I have been able to find is that we had another arrest in the program, and it was actually a staff member. Jarvis Jones was uh, arrested on, I believe, Sunday for reckless driving and speeding. And at this point, I think we should just issue everyone on the team, including the coaches and staff, fixel bikes. And they should all have to ride around like they're, you know, Portland hipsters because this has to stop. We can't have this anymore. It's just like upsetting every time I look at my phone. Like today I was just chilling, hanging out at the pool. And I looked at my phone. I was like breaking news and i was like damn again like are we for real doing this again after everything that's happened in january and i don't mean to like i do mean to shit on actually i do mean (laughs) to shit on speeders (laughs) and reckless drivers like what what is happening can we please just calm down can we please chill out ride our fixel bikes i don't even know what that is but i i assume it's a good thing a, a fixel like, is like a hu- like a huffy, like a bike without gears, like like what you would ride as like if you rode a bike like as a kid, and there was no shifting and you had to like pedal backwards to brake. Oh. Imagine like a little girl's bike with the long streamers or whatever. There's usually they don't have like hand brakes and they don't have like different gear switching. Okay, yeah, yeah. I think I, I guess what I'm saying is I think that all of our football players should have to drive huffies. Did you know that all of the football players and also all of this the football staff, to my knowledge, have little bikes like electric bi- or not electric bikes, electric scooters provided to them by the powers that be in the athletic association. Like they just got little scooters on the track. Yeah, I think we need to mandate that they only use those to get around Athens. Because at most, you start on campus. Let's say you got to go to Costco. That's maybe a 30-minute scooter ride. I don't really know how that measurement works. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> that's the farthest you could possibly need to go. Maybe we get a van for them for those outings. But have you ever been to Costco? Because if you go to Costco on a bird scooter, you better return with a car you bought <laughs> at Costco. Because nothing you could buy at Costco can be carried while driving an electric scooter. It can if you try hard enough. Let's go. We do have a Yara's Rage segment. It's maybe a little bit different than our traditional Yara's Rage against the scene. But before we get into that, the only other news notes is that we had a couple of injury updates. I guess this was yesterday from Kirby Smart. Dejon Edwards and Lad McConkie didn't play on Saturday. And basically, he just updated that Dejon Edwards practiced and warmed up. And he could have gone, but they held him back because they were playing UTM. And Lad McConkey has been having back injuries, and he is day-to-day, so he should be back soon. We did see on the injury front, Smile Mondin played, as did Jim, as did CJ Allen. We also didn't see Lossie L- L- Lawson Lucky, Lossie Luckin, Lawson Lucky, who has an ankle sprain. We didn't see any major injuries, so that's always what you want to come out of from a opening season FCS game. So, now that the not fun new stuff has been taken care of, it's time for Yara's, at this point, weekly segment about how much she hates Deion Sanders. So, Yara. I don't even think it's like an inherently problematic thing. I just strongly, de- like, 
I, I'm fully convinced I have a sixth sense at times where I like just have a premonition about certain things and I just get inherently bad vibes about certain people. And I do get that certain bad vibe about Dion fucking Sanders. Fuck that man. I don't think one, everybody's fucking glazing Travis Hunter, like in 4k ultra high definition, onlyfans.com shit because he switches helmets between offense and defense. And I don't think we need to be glazing him for it. I don't think it's that serious. Like, I don't believe that. I, I acknowledge that he's a good player, but I don't think we need to be glazing when he switches helmets one time. I think it's wasteful. I think we making people clean two helmets instead of one is silly and goofy. Dion also has people wearing like L's and D's on their jerseys for leaders and dogs instead of C's for captain. And I kind of see why he's doing that. But at the same time, who's who voluntarily wears an L on their chest? Like, who's coming up to a game against like TCU? Catch this L. Yeah. yeah. Like, who's... That That feels demoralizing to me, personally. I wouldn't want to do that. Um, And overall, I'm just kind of mad at Dion still about, about everything I said last week. And also, he just has a really rich history of manipulating the plight of American HBCUs in order to get paid and in order to get clout. And I don't think that one game against TC fucking you should exonerate him from that. And I don't think that they should be in the title contention conversation because they just beat TCU. It's not serious. Please get up. I kind of feel like Stephen A. Smith when I say all of this stuff. I don't know if that's how I say his name, but like, I feel like when I get on a rage moment, especially on Deion Sanders... I just, like, mm-hmm. channel this inner spirit of Stephen A. Smith, and I'm just like, wak yeah. But, yeah, that's my rage corner. I don't think we should be giving Colorado or Deion Sanders or Travis Hunter, like, that sloppy toppy just for beating TCU. I don't think it's that serious. Thanks. Huh. Okay. No, I totally agree fully with everything. I I hesitate to ask this because this episode is already very firmly off the rails. <laughs> but in what can you explain the Gen Z etymology of using the word glaze in that in that way? Because I so, assume you don't mean like in the sense that we would glaze pottery. So you know how a glazed donut kind of looks a little. Oh, oh, okay, okay, <laughs> okay, okay. That's what I thought. But like, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. I would have just very I, hold on. Let's pause. One, I totally agree with you. I think that Deion Sanders is a very good X's and O coach, but that his identity as a celebrity and his identity as one of the very few, uh, unfortunately few, black head coaches in the in college football does not exempt him for criticism for the way that he's treated both his players and has sort of manipulated, like you said, the the plight of HBCUs to his advantage. Also, I, I do want to point out that complaining about Travis Hunter switching helmets and saying that one person shouldn't have to have to clean both of those helmets is like a <laughs> deeply boomer take from you. It's not even that I disagree. It's just like <laughs> that is the most boomer ass way to talk about that. I had a chicken pot pie today. The boomer in me just came out, man. I like the implication that within every non-white Gen Z person. There is a mid-50s housewife who yearns for the Reagan era. And the way we release her, the way we release her is by feeding that non-white Gen Z person a chicken pot pie. That's like, that's what'll do it. So now let's actually talk about football. 
Okay. So how was your experience at the game, Yara? Oh my god. It was so good. So I woke up at like 10 a.m. And I'm, listen, I'm going to be so real in this in this safe space right now. I was still pretty drunk from the night prior. Like, I was just, I woke okay. up and I was pretty lit, man. So I, um, Kaylee got off of work at like 10.30. She just walked over. And we were like getting ready in my bathroom and just like putting on makeup and stuff. And Kaylee's like a makeup artist. She's so good at makeup. So she was doing mine. My roommate and her boyfriend were watching football in the living room, and it did, it genuinely felt like I was the main character of, like, a Bill Dunk's Roman novel. Like, it just, everything felt so right. And then we were, oh my god, we also had mimosas in the morning, and I've had a mimosa maybe, like, once before, but I've never had my own, like, customizable mimosa, you know, where I get to choose how much of each ingredient is in there. And I'm not, I'm not one of those people who... We'll put, like, a shit ton of champagne and then, like, whisper orange juice to the glass. That's just not how I make my mimosas. I need orange juice. I love my vitamin C, man. I had doses of mimosas playing in the background. Life was just so good. Like, I felt the presence of God Saturday morning. And we walked over to the game with, like... (laughs) This is a safe space to talk about this, I think. Ten shooters in Kaylee's pockets, which are the little airplane bottles that I got exposed about drinking. Okay, hold on. Pause. We, we can talk about that in a second. But I do want to just say, anyone listening to a UGA podcast, A, knows what shooters <laughs> are, and B, does not care. It, if we get any negative reviews because you talked about drinking alcohol at a UGA football podcast, I don't know who's who you are listening to this right now. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> Okay, real. We just, like, got there at 3. We got to the student ticket gate, like, an hour early. And that does sound a little bit extreme. But Kaylee and I have also previously waited at a My Chemical Romance line for, like, a literal entire day in order to get barrier. So an hour was so fine with the both of us. Like, we chilled. Then we went over. We, like, sprinted over to the student section right next to the Redcoats because that's where I wanted to be. And then we got, like, fourth from the hedges right on the edge, which is also where I wanted to be. So things were looking up. We hung out for a while more. Um, I saw you. I saw Sam. It was so much fun. Very great. And apparently I was taking my shooters in front of security, but, like, I genuinely didn't see them. I just did not... I didn't recognize that they were there until I looked at my phone and Nathan was just like putting me on blast in the Discord where you could also see me get put on blast for as little as $1 a month. Patreon.com forward slash shuffle bell curve again. I would not say I was putting you on blast. I was actually saying that like you had that dog in you because you (laughs) were, (laughs) it was like security and then you and I just looked over and you, you weren't even like bent over to be like, let me take this like Bacardi Raz Blast or whatever. He just like stood up fully proper postured down that thing. It, it was it was very heartening. We're really leaving America in good hands. <laughs> I'm so glad you think so. I don't know about all of that yet. Maybe after I graduate. It was just fun. We we had Smirnoff Blue Rats, I think. And then Pink Kinkies. They're not sponsored. Just really good drinks. But I made like so many friends, both in front of me and behind me, just because I was screaming a lot. I I put them on. They might be listening now. Shout out y'all. I just had a really, 
really good fucking time at the game. All I remember was we were taking shooters, like, at the beginning of every quarter, and it was so much fun. And Nathan and I, like, recorded a vlog in the middle of the third quarter. I just, like, pulled him over, and I was like, we're actually going to record a third quarter report on the state of the UGA game. And I can't even lie, I was pretty drunk when I made that decision. Like, I just... That was a decision that I just decided I needed to do. I knew you were drunk because I said, are you too drunk to be doing this? And you said, I'm not drunk at all. (laughs) That's the confidence of a drunk person. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. I also want to add that it was fully at 10%. Just like, with my phone, welcome to the third quarter podcast episode. But yeah, then I lost my voice and Kaylee and I walked back home and I just collapsed on the floor. Like I was just done for the day. And then I made a barbecue pizza about it, and it was really good. And that was my day. How was your day? Mine was good. Samantha came to her first game since 2019 Notre Dame. And, you know, football games are a lot for her. And I thought she was a very big trooper. And I think she's listening to me as I say this. And so I want to just shout out that Samantha has that dog in her. And I'm very proud of her. And it was so great to have her there because she's my favorite person in the world. And she's the love of my life. Oh, uh, we also got to see our adopted Middle Eastern daughter. As you said, that was fun. You were ecstatic about seeing me. But then I was like, oh, Samantha's here. And you just like made a bunch of noises. <laughs> That's my dog, man. I shit y'all not. Y'all are like my adopted parents at this point. I want my marriage to be as amazing as y'all's is dead ass. I appreciate it. See, the Redcoats had a really good day. Just a a hell of a week of practice. The Redcoats are, it feels like chronically having to fight against weather and very limited practice time. And I'm not going to lie, on Thursday, I was like, holy crap, like it's going to be pretty bad. But then on Saturday, it was quite good. And the Sousaphones, it was the same thing. I almost canceled the Sousa show because I didn't think it was going to be good. And then we practiced on Saturday and I thought, wow, it sounds really good. And we went out there and they've had, they had, I think, probably the, on the whole, best Caesar show I've heard since I came back in 2015. Oh, oh God. The Okay. So the Battle Hymn story. So I got to tell oh you gosh. the Battle Hymn story. So I go up to the top with the Battle Hymn soloist. I think this is a pretty well-known thing at this point. And the way it works is that. I go up with the Battle Hymn soloist and then another TA. This week it was Michael Choppa. And basically he goes to the press box and I go with the Battle Hymn soloist and I help get the Battle Hymn soloist mic'd up and I stand with them and take pictures of them with people who come by and all that. But then I also get them unmiked and back down to the field. So Choppa goes to, or in this case it was Michael Choppa who, shout out, an amazing TA, an amazing guy, goes to the press box and what they do, what that TA does, is they hit the button for the Larry Munson voiceover. It's not pre-recorded. Basically, they're like there's buttons for each voice clip, and he hits the button at the right time in the music. So I didn't know this happened at the time, but apparently, a minute, like thirty seconds before the Redcoats start playing the battle hymn, someone trips over a cord in the press booth and unplugs everything. Luckily, Jimmy, who was Battle Hymn soloist, his mic was still on, thank God. So that went off without a hitch. But there was no first Larry Munson, the glory, glory to old Georgia. That didn't come on because Michael hit the button and the whole thing was off. So they got the rest of it on and, you know, the rest of the the voice recordings come through. But then generally what happens is 
the mic for the battle hymn soloist is only on for like the 12 seconds of the battle hymn solo and then it's off the rest of the time well i guess there was still power running to it or like it was muted but it wasn't turned off because when i pulled the plug like when i unplugged the mics they made this giant popping noise through the scoreboard sound uh the scoreboard speaker so if you heard during battle hymn like pop pop that was me it was one of the most terrifying noises things that's ever happened to me and also it occurred to me that it is probably the loudest noise that i've ever personally been responsible for because i made a like five million dollar speaker system pop and it was something where it wasn't really anyone's fault or anything it was just one of those things where it was like a series of just sort of unfortunate events stacked on top of each other and honestly it wasn't even the worst case scenario because the battle hymn solo went through and like we've never had to use it but we do have a dummy battle hymn solo so if the mic cuts and there's no sound coming out when the battle hymn soloist is playing, there is a button you can push to play a dummy solo. But what sucks is had his mic gone out, the PA system was still down. So there would have been no battle hymn solo at all or it would have been like a really long pause. So wow. anyway, I almost experienced my waking nightmare. I've actually had nightmares about the battle hymn solo me- messing up before. So it didn't happen, and I was very happy and excited about that. Very nice. I'm glad it worked out well. This is also how I know that we have two very different breeds of anxiety, you know? Like, we have very different dogs in us. I'm interested to hear what you think the contrast is. I don't know if I can put words to it. I just, I have anxiety, but I don't have your anxiety, you know? Mm. I, I really don't know how to elaborate beyond that. I just know that they're very two distinct creatures. Well, I think that my anxiety is a lot of it. Well, A, I have a lot of health anxiety because I was diagnosed with like a chronic condition when I was like 18. And B, I have a lot of anxiety about the difference between how competent I think I could be at my like most maximally efficient and how competent I actually am. And part of, I think, growing up for me has been like sort of learning that maximal competence isn't like the point of life and that like people have value regardless of you know some kind of like arbitrary output that's been something that's actually made me like a much better teacher as well is like telling students like i think that you have value regardless of how good you are at writing or reading or whatever you just have value intrinsically as a person let's see so how else did my georgia football day go (laughs) the temperature in the second half was downright pleasant as soon as we got out of the sun i really enjoyed it I was never really worried about the game. I suspected that the transition in offensive era from Munkin to Bobo and also from Stetson to Carson Beck was going to be one that wasn't, you know, it wasn't always going to be the smoothest. But because the defense played, I think, if not up to their previous standards, then at least in the same, you know, general vicinity of their previous standards, I actually think that it, it, I was never really worried that we we're going to lose. You know what I mean? Even when it, it was like we were only up 17 to zero. It was like, well, okay, calm down, everybody. Everybody calm down. Uh, that's generally my approach to college football. You know, it's, <laughs> you know, there's that TikTok sound that's like, once I start drinking all the water I should and eating regularly and I get on anti-anxiety meds and I walk out and I work out all the time, you bitches, you bitches better watch out. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's how I, that's, that's UJ football to me right now. Once I win two national championships in a row, you bitches better watch out. That's now. This is our era. We just <laughs> won the last two natties. Oh, we're only up 17 at the half over UT Martin. 
I don't give a shit. Look at these rings. A combination of me being the world's biggest fan of Celexa, my anti-anxiety meds, <laughs> and also winning the last two natties has made me a lot less anxious of a UGA fan. I also want to point out that I thought, I don't want to make too much of a single anecdote, but there was something I noticed in the game that to me was very heartening. Thinking, Speaking of things that were pretty heartwarming. And I thought about it because I saw you and your friend Kaylee at the game. And then I was actually looking around the student section and I, and I noticed something, which is that, and this is not to in any way exonerate the rest of the U, of UJ's fan base or in any way make some bigger statement about UJ's fan base at large, but specifically in the student section, the fan base of UGA is so much more diverse than it used to be in 2006 when I was like, when I was here uh, as a student. And I think that that's cool. Like, and I don't just mean racially or gender diverse. I also just mean like the types of people. There are a lot of people at UGA games, especially our students who look like that they would go to a My Chemical Romance concert. And I think that's really cool. And I, I don't, that's apropos of nothing. It's just that there are knock on effects to good policies. And it is a good policy to attempt to get a more diverse university if you're going to have a public facing flagship university. And one of the knock on effects of that is that things that we typically associate with a certain kind of person start to get to become more diverse. And like there is nothing about the UGA fan experience that is made worse by having a more diverse crowd. I would say that if anything, it probably crowds out the people who make the UGA fan experience the most worse. I think and I was talking to Kaylee about this as well as we were on our biweekly grocery trip. One thing I appreciate about Georgia football more than I'll say any other SEC base or any other college football base as a whole is how open and diverse it is, not even just like gender or race, like you were saying, but like the types of people that go to games, like anybody can be a Georgia fan. And that truly shows. And that's one of the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful things about college football. And I think the college football base as a whole, as we move forward, like before, I think the audience, their intended audience for college football was like, maybe one or two types of people. And that's, you know, that was in the past, but like now this is so much bigger. And any and really anybody can be like a college football person. And that's, I think, something that's beautiful and something that I want to try and, I, I don't know if emulate's the right word, but like continue to grow, especially with being here on this podcast. Like I know that I'm not, Somebody who looks like I would be a college football fan. I actually was talking to Brett, the band director at UGA, about this. Like, I think the thing about having you in this podcast is that your sort of like relentless desire to make the experience fun makes it a better product, but also a better experience for me and Justin. Project that out college football wide. I will say that demographically, it's generally accepted that outside of NASCAR and I think maybe the NFL, that college football generally has the oldest, whitest, and politically most conservative fan base at, like of any of any major sport in the US. And so while that is might be probably might probably be true by the numbers now, I think that the what you see in college football student sections right now is probably a more accurate projection of the way America actually is going forward than whatever demographic TV numbers can tell you. Quantitative review. Let's do it. In this wildly inefficient, but I think very fun episode. So I have some notes. You have some notes. Your notes. I, I, I appreciate your notes because I try to be like real calm, real cool. And I feel like your notes are very much like 
like you somehow are the 35 year old conservative man like <laughs> sports take wise of the two of us right now oh no uh, so so my notes i thought we had a really dominant day stats wise and i think i can prove that that's the case but I, and i never really thought that we were in danger of being upset but i do think that it was about as frustrating a 41 point win as you can ever have I thought that the the offensive line was wildly inconsistent in run production, and I don't know that it was necessarily that they were getting beat on every play. We were running, and I have other notes about this, but we were running a very vanilla version of the offense, and I think that if you're going to run stuff that's predictable, you have to you have to perfectly execute it, right? So if you're going to run inside power or outside power or whatever the, the play concept is, and you're going to run it like 30 times, you have to execute it perfectly or it's not going to be as i don't know it's not it's not going to work right and so i think that a lot of those inconsistencies came from the fact that we just weren't executing well i also thought that you know carson beck looked good and i actually thought he was pretty good on the day he had a 67% completion percentage he had a 70% adjusted completion percentage which is his completion percentage if you add the number of balls that should have been caught which is very good right where you want, but he looked uncertain at times. He had some, I thought, bad moments. He never had any turnover-worthy plays, like balls that should have been picked but weren't, but he still played, I thought, bad situational football, and I think writ large, a lot of the frustration with this game came from bad situational football, and we use that term a lot, and I want to be specific about what I mean by that. Whether, you know, whether or not clutchness exists there are certainly more high leverage moments in any game even a game that ends up being a blowout so third downs this is like you know big penalties on third downs or completing or not completing third downs or executing inside of the maroon or the red zone like the 40 and 20 of your opponent right and and i thought we were not very good at that in the first half in particular we had a drop third down pass from arian smith dominic lovett dropped a slant that was off target on third down but still should have been caught uh, Carson Beck in the second half, he missed a wide open Arian Smith, about as wide open as you'll ever get. He missed uh, the new guy, CJ Smith, too, at, at times in the end zone. And so I think that those moments, even though they they weren't backbreakers and they, they didn't really make us any closer to being to losing, they they sort of like magnify the frustration of the fan base because they're drive killers or point killers. Right. And so. On the one hand, that's not good. But on the other hand, I think it's it's understandable, even for a defending national title uh, team that's coming off of a new offensive coordinator and a new quarterback to, in the first game, have some things to iron out, right? Kirby had a really good quote about how everybody thinks that against an FCS team that you should just go out and be up 40 to nothing, but you actually have to do it. Even if you have more talent, you have to do it. And I think that we saw that sort of writ large especially through the first half now i was never the biggest mike bobo hater in the world when he was last year when he was here last time but and i didn't really hate when he was hired last year but he did run a a drive or sorry he, he ran a a uh draw on third and long which was one of the things that i really hated when he was here last time do you know what a draw is in Mm-mm. football terms please teach me a draw a draw is when it's like the reverse of play action. A play action pass is when you pretend like you're going to hand it off to the quarter or to the running back and then you throw it. And a draw is the reverse. It's when you pretend, well, most of the time. 
A draw is when you pretend like you're going to throw it and then you hand it off or you run with the quarterback. So oh. in in a perfect world, what happens is if you're in third and long and you drop back to pass because everybody thinks you're going to pass on third down because that's what most people do on third and long or medium. Then you hand it off to the running back. The defense is out of position and so he easily gets the first down. The problem is if you don't execute the blocking, which we didn't, then you get stopped for a loss and it's like an embarrassing moment where it's like why did we even try that why did we think that was going to happen and i don't miss that from the mike bobo experience the first time around do you know the whole mike bobo meme among uga fans about like, like people's thoughts about mike bobo uh let me hear i i think i do but i want to make sure i do uh he was he used to be the offensive coordinator for uga and he had some record-setting offenses. And then also he had moments where he made some very questionable calls in big situations. He he was kind of prone to throwing his way out of a problem where if things aren't going well, he just calls a lot of passes. And then when he calls runs, they're very predictable, right? Sort of the most predictable Mike Bobo thing is to either go run, run, pass, punt, or go pass, pass, run, punt, right? That was at least the joke. I thought he probably got too much flack more than he deserved. But he definitely, like, the run the damn ball, Bobo, that's like, that was a thing from when he was not running the ball at the goal line with Todd Gurley, I think, as his running back. I see. So, Word. He, Hold he, on. He caused I wanna, a lot of frustration. I want to put a face to this name really Mike quickly. Bobo, we, we talked about it. He's like everybody's pop pop. He looks yes, like the, like, everyone's, everyone's best, like, pop pop boy. He, now, this is a man who knows what a chicken pot pie looks like. Oh, yeah. He 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 will eat and make you a chicken pot pie. He makes really good chicken pot pie. He makes chicken yeah. pot pie that's, like, very well seasoned. And, like, he adds a little bit of special special in there. And, like, he won't tell you mm-hmm. what the recipe is. But if you get him sitting down on a Sunday afternoon watching NFL, <laughs> he just might divulge his secrets to you. That's who Mike <laughs> Uh, man, that was that was a that was such a vivid evocation of a specific thing. <laughs> I think he seems I, like I a nice person. He he strikes me as a guy who sort of like he's a little old fashioned. He doesn't do a lot of cooking or like housework or whatever. But he has a couple of things of which one is chicken pot pie that are like his specialty that he'll cook on like special occasions. You know what I mean? Yes. <clears throat> anyway, I thought that. On the defensive side, uh, there was a little bit of inconsistency that you would just expect from a first game and from turning over so many players, even if we are replacing players with highly touted and even sometimes experienced guys that just like sort of that there wasn't as much cohesion among the defense as we've seen in the past. Now, they only gave up seven points, so, you know, this might be nitpicky, but I thought that the the cornerbacks were on and off at times. Kamari Laster looked on and off to me. I thought that we had some run fit issues, right? Run fit is basically like when you're playing defense and you're an offensive or you're a you're a linebacker or a defensive lineman, you have to have a gap that you're responsible for. And there were a couple of times where we lost the edge of the defense. So like the outside linebacker either went after the wrong guy or got blocked or was in the right, wrong place and led to some pretty easy runs, especially like outside runs for the quarterback. I thought that the D-line looked good. Uh, and, you know, I don't think they're going to be as dominant as they have been the last two years. That's a pretty high bar. But they were, I still think they were play, they were doing their jobs and had some explosive plays. 
I think that it's important to remember, and this is why I'm not worried, and this is something that we've talked about in the past, but I think it maybe was before you were on the podcast, Yara. But it's important to remember that Kirby likes the long con. And what I mean by that is Kirby will treat games against opponents that he thinks he can win as practices. UGA, I looked at the, I think uh, Graham Coffee had this on Dog Central, and I think they also had a, a snaps count on 24-7. But according to the sources I looked at, 68 players played on Saturday. That's a lot. And so it's clear to me, at least, that Kirby was running the base of all bases in terms of scheme, both on offense and defense. Like just the three or four most common plays that they want to run the most, they were just running those over and over and over again. They weren't doing anything tricky. They were treating it like it was a scrimmage because they knew they were more talented and that they could win. Kirby has done this against like power five teams in the past that he thinks he can beat. And so I would, I would caution people not to freak out too much about it. People say, I know that it's a very common say, a common thing for people to say like, oh, we just haven't gone that deep, deep in the playbook. The offense really isn't that bad. But the thing that I, and normally that's BS, but the thing that I would caution you was we thought it was BS in the past and then we won two national titles basically doing that. Kirby doesn't generally coach teams that beat FCS teams 70 to nothing, right? Oklahoma, I remember like Oklahoma beat the crap out of somebody on Saturday. Oh yeah. Uh, they, 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 they beat, Abilene Christian like 73 to nothing or something I think it might have been Abilene Christian who was it no they beat Arkansas State which is actually a, an, an FBS team they beat them 73 to nothing didn't Oregon also shit on somebody like shit shit on them yeah Oregon right? beat Portland State Oregon beat Portland State 81 to nothing and there's nothing yeah. wrong with that <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that but and, and this isn't like a sportsmanship thing this is just like that is not Kirby's thing I think that his sort of maximalist efficiency approach, right? He has a maximalist of approach to efficiency. He's trying to wring every little bit of juice out of the orange. You know what I mean? And yeah. I think that from his perspective, games that he thinks he can win are just more opportunities to get reps for guys that he needs to get ready. Right. And that he doesn't really give a shit about the score. And I think yeah. that if you, if you got Kirby on truth serum or whatever, he would tell you that, having a frustrating win against an FCS opponent that you win comfortably is really sort of like the perfect thing to happen because then you can beat ass and practice the whole week. Right. Like yeah. you can be like, Oh, well we won, but look how bad we were. And UTM pushed us around and our offensive line looked inconsistent and you just yell and yell and yell and yell. And then you're just more ready going forward. So I would just caution everyone to just unclench. Having said that, I want to turn it over to the boomer in the room and have Yara give their game notes go i think we need a reevaluation of qb1 <laughs> <laughs> okay please go on <laughs> um okay <sighs> all right um and i do agree with everything that you said i don't think we need to you know crush somebody's skull in by like a million points in order to have a good game i think Doing what doing what we do as efficiently as possible, especially this early in the season, needs to be our game plan, you know? We already have so many people out and injured. Our our tight end room is going crazy. Our wide receiver room is going crazy. Like, we can chill. We we don't have to be him right now. We can just be calm and take a breath. I do think we need a reevaluation of QB1. Um, with like, with all of that being said, 
I just, I don't think Carson Beck has that dog in him. And I'm putting aside performances from Saturday really quickly because I want to go back to Saturday morning. Now, um, I, I don't know how much I'm allowed to talk about this, but like in the morning before, you know, game day and everything, obviously players eat breakfast and there is, um, well, one of my friends works, uh, and like serves breakfast to the players and, and like does catering and stuff. So car, uh, there's like early bird breakfast, which I think was at seven or something. And then there was like a, you know, regular risers breakfast, which was at 10. And Carson Beck came to none of those. Carson Beck just like, I don't know when he woke up. I don't really care. You know who did wake up early? Gunnar Stockton. Like at seven in the fucking morning. And I think Brog Vandegrift came out later as well. But like, to me, that speaks miles. Because when somebody isn't necessarily QB1, and like, duh, he's probably going to get some play time. But like, when somebody isn't QB1, but they're still waking up at 7, like, even before 7, because I had to walk down there, like, probably 6.30 or something. Walking down there, getting your breakfast, and like, doing what you do in the morning, and, you know, getting ready. That shows that you have that dog in you, for lack of better words. It shows that, you know, you're ready. And... The fact that you're not QB1 and you're putting in that much work to me speaks more to the mentality that I think we're going after this year. You know, our whole thing is like, better never stops, eat off the floor, like just get gritty, get nitty gritty. Do not get like super excited or super boastful. Stay humble. And I think Gunnar Stockton and Brock Vandegrift are best demonstrating that kind of energy and they need to be the faces of that of the team because of that like I don't think Carson Beck is the face of the team I think Gunnar Stockton or Brock is absolutely but I don't know if Carson Beck is I could be totally wrong I invite discourse I invite conversation about this because I don't know everything about college football at the end of the day and this is just you know solely my take based off of the limited information that I do understand and that I do grasp right now but I think we need eat off the floor mentality and I don't know if that's Carson Beck Thanks for coming to my TED Talk. I don't think I've ever heard something that was more sublime than what you just said. That really? Was, Thank that you. That was amazing. I'm not saying you were right, <laughs> but I am saying having inside info and saying we need a new quarterback because of someone's breakfast eating habits <laughs> is, is unhinged in a way that is like, that's why you should be on this podcast. That was. Oh, thanks. Wow. Okay. <laughs> um, and and I feel bad about some of the numbers that I have because I, I, it's gonna seem like I'm shitting on what you just <laughs> said here in a minute. No, no, literally, please do because I know that I'm probably not right. Like you cannot judge whether somebody's QB went based on their breakfast habits, but like that's why I'm here. You know, I want to learn. Okay, I will say in the realm of sort of things that we can't prove, I think that. It is generally accepted that Gunnar Stockton is like a Stetson Bennett style, like obsessed with the game gamer. You don't have to be that to be a great player. It doesn't shock me that Gunnar Stockton is the dude who gets up at like 430 every morning because that's just like his reputation. He has he was obviously much higher rated coming out of high school than Stetson, but he does have that reputation. So that's not shocking. So let's talk about we got two more things left here. Then we're going to get out of here. 
let's talk about players that we liked, players that we thought were notable, and then I will give you some stats. So, first of all, Roderick Robertson, Roderick Robinson, I thought looked really good. He he was number zero on the field, number one in my heart. I love it when people wear number zero. Darnell Washington is gone, but not forgotten, and having Robinson back was great. I also thought he just looked good. He had he averaged 2.80 yards after contact. Basically, like he would get hit and then get our and get almost three more yards after contact per attempt, which I think is it just it that brings me great joy. That's the kind of running that you want to see. He also was, I think, on the day of the halfbacks that we went out there, and this all of these stats are per uh, are per PFF. He was one of our highest rated per PFF uh, stats. He was he had a sixty nine point four offensive uh, rating, sixty nine point three wow. uh, running, and then he I don't think he had any rece- receptions. He was I thought he looked really good. He had eight snaps, eight attempts, fifty yards, six point three yards per, per attempt. Kendall Milton I also thought went, looked good. He had uh, ten snaps, nine attempts, fifty three yards per attempt, five point nine yards per run, and he also averaged like six yards after contact as well so i thought both of them looked really good let's see i also really liked what i saw out of makai muse i think makai muse is our next in the long line of tiny fast boy muse was he was receiving he was returning uh punts and kickoffs and also he is in a way that i think is both hilarious and cool and good he is like a jacked tiny fast boy for a guy that is five eight and you know is the speedster Dude is pretty thick. I mean, he's 5'8", 185. Like, that's... Yeah, he's packing it in for a for a dude who's 5'8". And I respect that about him. And I also thought he just looked looked good on today. I also thought that uh, Arian Smith and Dominic Lovett both had some drops and, and key times. But they were... They looked really good running routes. I thought Dominic Lovett... He only, I think, had one catch on the day. But the catch he had was really great. Uh, I thought CJ Smith looked really good. I'm not sure if CJ Smith is what he is right now, if he was just getting more playing time because it's early in the season, but I thought he looked really good receiving. He had uh, two receptions for 57 yards, 28.5 yards per reception. Makai Buse had three receptions for 75 yards. And then, of course, five receptions for 77 yards, 15.4 yards per attempt, and a touchdown running. Brock Bowers, in God we trust, and Brock we trust. This is a pro Brock Bowers podcast. Obviously, if you're not good with Brock Bowers, you're not good with us. We love him. We we worship at his altar. My sweet balding boy. Look at him go. Yeah. I think that, and I had this note down before you wrote your notes, but I think Gunnar Stockton is going to be like the most popular dude in the locker room among fans because Gunnar Stockton... Say what you want about his performance, but he has it. He just looks kind of crazy when he's out there. He's always, like, running around making plays. Now, and I would say this with love towards the people who like Gunnar Stockton. That's totally fine. He, per PFF, did not have a great day. Only a 53%, uh, 53.0 pass grade on the day. 62.1 run grade. He, you know, I thought that he looked pretty good making throws off platform, right? But he was off platform sometimes because he kind of ran out of the pocket too early. You know, he let's see, just to look into some of his deeper stats, his adjusted completion percentage was 60%, which is fine. Um, He had eight air yards per attempt, which is fine. But I just thought, 
I, I don't know, man. I, I don't know if he's totally ready. I think he's, I think the reason that he's third is that he might not be fully in the offense yet. Like he doesn't control the ball the way they want their, their QB one, two. And I understand that he gets up early and, and I think that he is going to give Dylan Rayola a run for his money, but I'm not sure that he's ready to be like the starting quarterback of a national championship caliber team. Having said that, he clearly has an intense amount of talent. So, you know, yeah. I just, I, I'm not totally, I'm not totally sold on it yet. Now I will say to his credit that I thought all three of them played really well and to, to Brock Vandegrift's credit as well. PFF really liked him passing. He didn't pass very often, but you know, they liked his passing, even though he had three attempts and two completions, you know, so that probably <laughs> throws it off. Let me see. Just a little. None of them had any turnover worthy plays. So that's cool. Were there any other players that you were like, that's my boy? Um, I wanted to, I let Arian Smith cook for the longest time. Like I, he missed that first um catch like right in, well, pretty much right in front of me. And I was, I literally saw him just like go back after the, after, you know, not catching. And he just looked so depressed. Like he, I was so concerned for a second, like not to be concerned about you know, somebody having a singular bad not catch on a on a day. But like he just looked so sad and I was like, oh, this is his villain era that's about to come up in it. Like this has just start off started off a chain of events that is now going to make Arian Smith hit. So that was something that stood out to me. Um Cash Jones looked awesome. Human victory cigar, etc. I kept pointing him out to the little the the girls, as an aside, there were two girls in front of me who had talked about this before, but this was like their first Georgia game ever. And I was just like full on mansplaining the shit. And when I talked about Cash Jones, I was like, that is our human victory cigar. Like, I I cannot elaborate further at this time. That's him. <laughs> I'm not, I won't be taking any more questions at this moment. <laughs> exactly. And yeah, that was it for me. So... Just to go over a quick couple of stats, we already hit some stats, but a couple of stats overall. I think a lot of the frustration on the day from fans, which I was hearing, uh, which I think is kind of spoiled behavior, but whatever, comes from we actually on the day running, we averaged out for some pretty good running stats, right? But we had a lot of unsuccessful plays, right? If you look at the overall statistics on rushes, we rushed 43% of the time, 159 yards on the ground, 5.3 per average, uh, 4.34 EPA total, which is just okay, and 0 0.014 or 0 0.14 EPA per play, which is bad. Uh, we also had 47% stopped runs, which is uh, runs of fewer than two yards, and 10% stuffed runs, which is runs of fewer than one yards. I thought that the, uh, that speaks to the offensive line just not doing their job. I didn't yeah. get the sense that like the offensive line was like physically overpowered by UT Martin. I thought they were just kind of like in the wrong place a lot of the time. You know, per EPA, we only had 9% explosive plays on the day, which is fine, but not great. This has not been an offense traditionally that looks very good in terms of explosive plays, but you expect to see more of it against UT Martin. The defense looked shaky at times. I thought that they lost contain a little bit more than they should have. But at the end of the day, they had a 57% stop rate. Uh, which is just like the number of like three down sets that they just basically turn into nothing, right? Plays that are unsuccessful. Uh, they they forced 
six havoc plays on the day, which to me seems a touch low, but it's fine. Uh, I thought that, you know, it was an underwhelming win in some ways, and it's okay to say that it was underwhelming and to feel like it's underwhelming. And at this at this podcast, we want to elevate and what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, like we want to make real everyone's feelings. We want everyone to feel like their feelings are are good and normal, and that you know it's all about just like dealing with and sort of lifting up those feelings that help us and trying to process the feelings that hurt us. Having said that, I would caution you to treat this as something that is deserving of yelling or frustration because I don't think that there's really anything that I saw that tells me that this is anything other than a team that should go to the SEC championship and threaten for a college football playoff spot. There's some things to work on, but that is true for 131 other teams as well, and so I would not freak out about it. Do you have any last notes, Yara, before we get out of here? I don't think I do. I think I agree with, you know, everything that... You said this is the first game. This is not, you know, our midseason form. And this is also an FCS team. And we're not show. I don't think we're showing all of our cards right now. There's no way that that is a good idea. And there's no way that Kirby's actually doing that. This is an FCS team. And we don't need to reveal our, you know, hand of aces to the Skyhawks quite yet, despite how cool they are and how trusting I would be to let them, to let the Skyhawk mascot carry my drink for me. Like, we don't gotta, we don't gotta do all that. I'm looking forward to future games. This has been Chapel Bell Curve. If you liked what you heard here today, we would love if you gave us a rating or review. If you would like to support us even more, we would love it if you came on over to patreon.com forward slash chapel bell curve. And for a little as $1 a month, join our discord discord. We think that there is a really great group of patron here, patrons here who, if you enjoy this show, you will enjoy our community. They're actually currently talking crap about Clemson in the chat as we, as we are recording this episode. If you, would like to get in touch with us you can find us on pretty much all social media at chapel bell curve or you can send us an email at chapel bell curve at gmail.com we will catch you later this week in the ball state preview episode with our fearless leader justin return to us and we will catch you this weekend in the classic city for uga's upcoming matchup against the cardinals not the cardinal i think i'll have to look it up until then go dogs go dogs (laughs) 